Welcome to This Week in Missouri Politics from our Missouri Times streaming studio in Jefferson City, Missouri. We are joined by the president of Rural Missouri, Garrett Hawkins, the president of Missouri Farm Bureau. Thank you for joining us here. Well, thank you for inviting me to the studio. I mean, we're having like, so Jason Smith was here a couple weeks ago. Now you, uh, we're ringing the bell. We're going we're, we're wow. to set a big, uh, big tone for the next guy in that chair. Um, let's talk about the legislative meeting. I always tell folks the two days that Jeff City has the most competence all year round was in the Farm Bureau folks come talk with the legislature. What'd you talk to them about? Oh, gosh. Well, number one priority this session is health plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, bill filed by uh, Senator Sandy Crawford mm-hmm. and Representative Curtis Gregory to allow Missouri Farm Bureau to offer a health plan to our members. We also talked about the need to continue to build on private property rights protections, mm-hmm. building on success in the last session. And then look at beginning farmers and ways that we can do more to to help with the transfer as we think about the generational transfer of agriculture in this state. You know, gosh, I figured part of that when you went and talked to folks was a bit of thank you for that special session. Absolutely. I mean, it's still, I'll tell you this, there was a lot of folks, I run into into some folks in and around the governor's circle, and they'll be like, I tell you, that special session, I had reservations, which I think a lot of people do. Maybe everybody but him and Willard. And I tell you, that thing, uh, when the dust settled, I mean, it was a home run for ag and everybody that worked on it and the governor, obviously, but you had to have uh, that had to kind of fire your folks up a little bit to know, hey, we came in, we shot hard and, and, and came out a winner. It did. I mean, honestly, at the end of last session, there was just fatigue. I mean, our yeah. folks have been working for and calling for the renewal of these tax credits that really are no brainers in terms yeah. of their effectiveness and their return on investment for not just agriculture, but the entire state. And so going into the special session, you know, when we sat down with the governor and, and he gave us the hard message, uh, we knew that we had to be right there. And, you know, again, I'm really proud of him, but there are a number of leaders who stepped up. Dean Plock. It's hard to say, you know, it, it sometimes I, I think we've all understood he's from the country part of town and country, but I'm not sure that we have a more effective advocate in rural Missouri right now than Dean Plocker. Well, he he worked it hard and that was evident to ultimately get the votes that were needed to to get this package through and honestly scott for us to clear the deck to clear the slate and know that there's certainty for the next few years with regard to the tax credit renewal it allows our members to to focus on other pressing issues and that's why it was so important to get that certainty out of the way and let us work on the next it, set of priorities it's a little frustrating sometimes though like you know, rural folks don't step up when historic tax credits get renewed and say, no, 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 those, those come to us. What are you going to do for me? I saw a lot of folks in the suburbs decide they would just, it was it for them. Well, what, what do we get? And the fact was, well, a better state, a good investment, we all get along. And that wasn't enough. It was an interesting thing. I've watched the reaction to that. You know, rural folks aren't going to be the ones that stand up and scream at being victims and whine all day. No. But I did see some folks be like, huh, so there has to be something in it for you personally in your district to get something out of this. It, it, it sometimes I worry we're too nice because when we came back to ask, not even for something new, just yeah. to get back to even. Just get back to even. You're I exactly mean, right. It took you and Dean Plotter <laughs> having some knuckles attached to those votes. You know, it, it's just unfortunate that sometimes it feels like agriculture can be taken for granted Absolutely. in terms of the economic contribution that we make to the state. And again, these have a proven track record through the years that we're proud of. And essentially, uh, it's just unfortunate that every few years we have to re-justify and make the argument yet again of why these incentives are a smart investment for for the state. So when you really, you said to break this down, I mean, uh, as as the Masvidic credits were just renewed, it's not like it's a new thing, it's a tested and and good program. But now that it's been renewed, um, you look forward to healthcare plans. I think that's not, when when you see Garrett Hawkins, 
president of Farm Bureau. I'm not expecting you to talk about healthcare plan, but I, I talked to some friends. The number one way someone loses their farm, if you're a farm broomer, you're probably not going out planting crazy crops. You're probably not making risky investments. The number one way you lose your farm is you get sick. You're right. And unfortunately, through the years, I've heard too many stories of, of fellow farmers who are either going uninsured or underinsured with expensive, catastrophic plans that are literally only there if there is an extreme uh, injury on the farm. And that's unfortunate. You know, as you, as you think about the changes in healthcare policy over the last decade, the Affordable Care Act changed the landscape for many to the positive in some respects, but for farmers and those who are self-employed, many who are good, hardworking, tax-paying uh, citizens, they've been left behind by essentially a donut hole. Yeah. And Medicaid doesn't cover them. The Affordable Care Act subsidies don't cover them because we make just enough oftentimes to, to fall uh, above that. So, so here we are, we're caught with trying to go to the marketplace. In some cases, you have one carrier. In 52 counties, we have yeah. two carriers that may offer one plan each. So very little competition for extremely expensive plans uh, that are catastrophic plans, basically. It strikes me who's against this. I mean, <laughs> I think if you got, if you could just get half the folks that like to eat dinner on board with the Farm Bureau having health insurance, I think that would do it. Who's against it? Well, I mean, again, for those that are concerned about competition, competition in a different way or, or something that's different, Okay, mm -hmm. this is different, but it's not unproven. Six yeah. state farm bureaus now offer, due to their action within their general assemblies, now offer health plans to their members. And, and what we're seeing, those health plans are helping fill a need for those who have been left behind. And for those folks, Scott, it's a difference maker uh, of whether that young man or woman's able to come home to the farm, because now they know they have this major risk protection protected in their lives. It may mean that a spouse doesn't have to go to town or maybe is able to come home from town to actually work alongside on the farm where they're needed. So too many times I hear about these discussions that are happening around the kitchen table uh, about the one thing that's affecting the farm, the family, the business. The one issue that's hanging out there is health coverage. And we have an option to be able to fix it. It won't fix it for everybody, but I truly believe helping some is better than helping none. Well, let's talk about something that helps no one that I can tell. Essentially, they've come up with in Washington this plan where if you if you tip over a bucket of water, somehow Joe Biden can come out there and say, that's mine now, I'm in charge of that. It's this thing called Waters of the United States, something like that. But, but I think it, it's a nice little acronym and I'm sure it sounds good. But in the day, I mean, basically it means if your trough leaks, they can come out and regulate it. Scott, it's a it's deja vu for many of us in agriculture who have felt this regulatory whiplash through the years. Yeah. I mean, in reality, for decades, we have paid the price that in 1972, when Congress enacted the Clean Water Act, yep. they failed to draw the bright lines of where federal jurisdiction ends and where state jurisdiction picks up. Therefore, we've been in this regulatory ping pong match for decades made worse during the Obama years when the 2015 rule came out and Missouri Farm Bureau led among state farm bureaus and and calling for a ditching of the rule. We saw the Trump administration answer the call and actually give us bright lines in the Navajo Water Protection Rule. And now you see the Biden administration essentially going back to before 2015. But what I see is regulatory creep. They're going to get us to the Obama era rule in terms of being so expansive that it goes beyond water and regulates dry land. 
but it's going to take a case-by-case -case, uh, decision-making process all across this country to get us to uh, that expansive regulatory state. So uh, looking forward, I mean, there's a Supreme Court case, I guess, winding its way through. That's right. Um, I guess you could see a, a bill pass through Congress that seems like not maybe, that doesn't seem as real. Uh, when, when do you expect the Supreme Court ruling to come down? Well, it could be as late as June at the end of the mm -hmm. Supreme Court session. I hope it's earlier. But you know, I had the chance to testify before one of Congressman Graves' subcommittees within the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. One, it's so cool to see a Missourian yeah. at the helm of that committee, along with Jason Smith at Ways and Means. I digress. Uh, but my message to the committee, or one of the messages, was no WOTUS before SCOTUS. We should not be pursuing this regulatory action and implementing a final rule until we know what the Supreme Court is going to say in a decades-old case, Scott, a decades-old case. You know, I thought Donald Trump had a heck of an idea when he just quit hiring IRS people to harass, Missouri, to harass Americans, but Missourians too. Maybe the next Republican president might have the great idea to just not hire EPA folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's one way you to get there. You out of people to bother you if you keep losing people. You know, it's just this rule takes effect. Why do you think they think? What well, I don't understand the thought. If if I look at your farm and I think it's great, you know what I think? I want to buy that someday. I don't think it's my business anyway to do with it without paying you for it. It's just that mentality is such a backward mentality. Well, it's an attitude that they know best. Yeah. And, and, you know, I believe in Missouri, we've long been leading the conversation of environmental stewardship and, yeah. and being frontline conservationists. You know, I told the committee, like since 1985, Missourians, we have taxed ourselves with the one ten cent sales mm -hmm. tax to, to enhance state parks and put in place water and soil conservation measures. We know how to do conservation in the state. We don't need people in Washington, D.C. coming in and telling us how to do it, even beyond that. Let's, uh, let's talk much detail about <laughs> Chairman Sam Graves. Yes. Chairman Jason Smith. I mean, if you think about uh, in, in Congress, I can't remember a time in my professional lifetime when two Missouri, which brothers of the party, but two Missourians have led key committees like that. I mean, you go back to when Ike Skelton ran armed services. I mean, it, it's been a very long time since two of the top committees were chaired at the same time by Missourians. I mean, it's got to help you when, when a farmer needs something, when Sam Graves, chairman of the Transportation Committee, calls a different department, someone tells them they get back to them a little quicker, you know? It is just fantastic. And it probably is a once-in-a-generation yeah. opportunity, I think, for our state. And it's not only those two at the helm of committees you see. Ann Wagner, Blaine Leuchtemeyer, mm -hmm. chairing important subcommittees within financial services. I just think it's a really exciting time Yes, it's difficult in Washington, D.C., but with the leadership that we have within the delegation, I'm confident that we're going to move the needle, even get creative sometimes in how we yeah. move the needle, but we're going to do it. I mean, if you're in that spot where you got to get creative, like, like folks are, it helps a little bit when you can break out and make that move. That's right. And it, that clout matters. Let's talk about something that, uh, that I think is fun. So we talked about property rights. You fought and you fought and you fought. Now, I do think if, if, if someone wants to buy your land, you do have a good shot at getting a fair shake, right? And I thought the most interesting part of this is, so the Green Belt Express came through, bought folks land, um, highly controversial. Mm -hmm. It was sort of that, you're not gonna do this again, mentality. Um, you get a law passed. Now, the folks at Green Belt had a new line, right? They, could, they were gonna put in. Now, I guess technically, they could have pencil whipped it and went in under the old law, if they got it done or started before the new law went into effect, and probably legally they could have had all the lawyers make it work. I saw you come unglued, and about 48 hours later, all of a sudden they're gonna follow that new law. Speaking of clout, 
that, that's got to make a Farm Bureau member like myself, like my son, Gussie. That's kind of cool when you could speak up and you don't have to have a big legislative for, for fight for you. You don't have to have a court case. They back down. Well, fortunately, in this case, it's an example. This organization is bigger than me or any one of our members. Sure. And, and, and what is always humbling every day is knowing that I've got 147,000 plus member families. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what get, that's what drives me every day along with knowing that the decisions that we make today are trying to leave a better tomorrow for those who are going to follow us. In this case, private property rights have been fundamental to Missouri Farm Bureau since 1915. And, and as we think about the Biden administration transforming power generation and transmission as we know it, Missouri truly is leading the conversation, I think in a lot of ways, of trying to balance landowner concerns and needs with that of energy security. We're not no to energy. We're not no to new transmission. What we are is pro property rights and making sure that landowners receive a fair shake, that the process is more transparent, that the PSC actually takes into account landowner mm -hmm. concerns. And ultimately when this awesome power of eminent domain has to be used, it should only be used under extreme circumstances and people should be compensated fairly. Well, I mean, you're gonna to have to have, so if you have infrastructure, it's gonna be a little eminent domain. But this is a whole different thing when it's a company doing it, it doing, is. which is look I, I understand where they use the law they went through the process i did like to see that probably does make it a little easier more exciting to be that farm bureau member when you do see the organization step up and you don't have to have these lengthy fights you see results i mean hell that week that's a heck of a deal yeah and we're still working on it but um truly i cannot thank the legislature enough for last session for what have been an almost decades old fight we finally got a toehold and said Missouri is no longer wide open and fully exposed to these out-of-state private interests. What we did was at least raise the bar, and that is the bar, that is the placeholder from which we are working this legislative session. Lastly, uh, this topic we love to talk about, rural broadband. I saw there's a, another lead. I was just up in St. Joseph, or in Savannah, actually, and got to see United Fiber. I mean, the, the, the United Co-op is doing, I mean, it's like, the, it's like one of the great examples of what a co-op can do. Uh, tell me the progress of rural broadband. Well, actually, just did a podcast with the state's broadband director, B.J. Tanks. You know I you? know that yeah. a little bit. You know, they're continuing to do, I think, a really good job of trying to get money out the door, unprecedented levels of money, yeah. right? Uh, so proud that Missouri has an office of broadband. Clearly, more work to be done. Our members keep asking, okay, the dollars are out the door, yeah. but when does that mean that I'm going to be connected? And that's what we're going to continue to ask of these companies. But I tell you what, we'll continue to talk about basic services like cell service because uh, I had yeah. a con I had a conversation with one of the companies the other day saying, "Hey, as you transition to 5G, we have got to do better in making sure that we have the tower capacity and the reception that's needed in our rural areas." It is, and the truth of the matter is, if rural folks don't step up, I mean, that, the one thing that if you watch the legislature like I do, it's no different than the rest of society. If rural folks don't step up and demand it, they'll be the back of the line. Yep. If you don't step up and speak out, if you don't have someone on their behalf like yourself speak up, you should expect to get nothing and you'll get, it'll meet your expectations. Well, I think you, you've you worked with me long enough now, you, you see a pattern here, that we are the laying the groundwork to bring the kids home, whether it's to the farm or to rural Missouri. And we're not just focused on common sense farm and conservation policy. We are focused on the issues that impact the quality of life. So improving access to affordable health mm -hmm. coverage, making sure that we have good infrastructure, roads and bridges, and yes, broadband. Garrett Hawkins, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
We'll be right back with the second segment this week in Missouri politics. But first, go to showmissouri.com. This is Missouri one county at a time. We're in Hickory County. Learn all about how Hermitage, why Hermitage is where it's at, everything from Hermitage to Wheat and everything in between. Showmissouri.com. This is Missouri one county at a time. We'll be right back. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right-to-work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. All throughout Missouri, businesses are struggling to find workers. Childcare challenges are a big reason why. Our kids are losing out too. Through high-impact early childhood investments, we can support the workforce of today and better prepare our workforce of tomorrow. Empower families with the resources they need to succeed. Reduce crime and avoid costly interventions, saving taxpayers money. Together, we can make Missouri the best place to work, raise a family, and be a kid. Data captured by our state-of-the-art monitors helps us pinpoint the timing and location of severe weather more accurately and respond to trouble more quickly. Ameren Missouri's investment in smart technologies like this is one way we're improving reliability and restoring power faster than ever. Responding to trouble before trouble hits. That's energy at work. Ameren, Missouri. Welcome back to the Missouri, Missouri Politics to our streaming studio here in Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, come in, I really enjoyed uh, folks stopping by. The president of rural Missouri, always fun to talk to. Now we have the mayor, incoming, I guess, of the city of Jefferson, the state capital, Ron Fitzwater, capital fixture. Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you. I, it's great to be here with you. Just so we're just so we're technically correct, you are running for mayor for the first time and correct. completely unopposed, like nobody wanted to run against you. Unopposed, which so, is very nice. Got about, I guess, another 30 days or so before you actually get sworn in. Uh, tell me, though, it's got to be an honor. I know it's an honor. I, I see it on the face of the people that live here, the people that serve in city government. It's a great honor to host the state capitol. It is a great honor. This is a great city. We've got great potential. I, I've got ideas that I want to help implement, but we've got great potential here. People love to come here. Yeah. Hopefully, we're treating them right. I want us to treat them better and We've got some ideas of things that we can do to make this an even better city. It is such a, to me, um, although it's central Missouri, it's a little more uh, Catholic, a little more, frankly, even German than, than where I'm from. It has a small town feel. There is definitely a, there is a small town community where folks know each other and neighbor helps a neighbor. Uh, it's small enough for that. But then you've got this terrific uh, institution downtown with the state capitol. And, and I tell you what, if you come, if you come to Jeff City, anybody's watching this, if you come in, walk around downtown you've got shoe stores you've got great restaurants you've got a place to have a drink and the, and if you come at the fourth of july or on a holiday the flags are out and if you come in the summer there's 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 flowers hanging off the light post it is truly the, the city has made a concerted effort to make it a tremendous experience for folks to come enjoy their state capital i hope people feel that way i mean if strangers you know out of towners ask somebody you know how to get to someplace people are polite They'll probably know something about your family by the time the conversation ends. But yeah, people here are friendly. It's a comfortable place to live. And it's just been great for Karen and I and our family. And, you know, hypothetically, maybe at some point, 
the city might write fewer of those notes for them to take home with them if they park somewhere for 20 seconds. Well, but, but we're, we're going to work on tell that. Tell me about, this is one of, my, one of my favorite places. Of all, Missouri does a wonderful job of celebrating the 4th of July. I don't think anybody can hold a candle to the event that Jefferson City puts on. I mean, the streets shut down. There's a carnival. It is. I, you almost get the, the, the butterflies thinking about it. Uh, tell folks what happens here on the 4th of July. Well, I can tell you what used to happen here on the 4th of July. It used to be a two or three day mm -hmm. celebration and we would have a carnival come to town and, you know, there were just a lot of events going on, bands coming in and a parade and then followed up by a lot of vendors and, you know, food courts and, you know, beer gardens and just a lot going on. And then of course, fi finalized by the big fireworks mm -hmm. show this year, it's a one day event, which is very frustrating. So we're going to pack most of that into one day there will not be a carnival and most of the activities are going to be centered around the capitol grounds so i don't know who made that decision but i think july 4 2024 is going to go back to old style it is just such a special feeling it is it's and a i mean great the place time. is packed and it's not it's um it's anybody's connection to jeff city comes here for that and, and i always thought it was just such a great everybody does a great job there's a many many great celebrations I would just thought Jeff City had a very special connection and the place swelled and you could just tell people loved it. There was there was never any problems. It was just a it was of all the places you could be, I think it's the most family environment in Jeff City downtown. But tell me about this. I've been everybody knows about the prison, right? There's been if you, if you haven't been to a concert there, you've seen some of the pictures around it. Tell me what's happened at the prison grounds right now. Well, the state deeded some property over to the city several years ago i think mike keogh had a couple knuckles attached when he forced it out of the state's hands well mike keogh was very <laughs> was very instrumental as senator bernsketter representative griffith representative veet but with the intention for us to build a convention center and a hotel there to kind of help redevelop the site build around the old historic site where we continued to do prison tours and utilize that facility we went into it with a philosophy, if we build it, they will come. And we worked on putting that together. Eventually had to go back to the state and try to reposition where we wanted to put the hotel and the convention center again, called on Lieutenant Governor Kehoe and, and others to help. And we're now leasing some space in addition to the, the land that we have down kind of over the, the hillside. And we're gonna put a convention center there. In the meantime, they have come. I mean, the state is building a $180 million One Health Lab complex just off of Chestnut Street. So it'd be east of, of our site. There's not well-hidden rumors that there's going to be another state office building on the corner of Lafayette and Capitol Avenue. We have two associations, the Primary Care Association and Behavioral Health that are looking at moving their associations on site. And we're in the final negotiations. So we've got a lot of activity on the prison site and we're kind of scrambling getting our piece of it the hotel and convention center brought to speed it is a glaring of all the things good about jeff city it's a glaring thing that there's not a convention center here in jefferson city it just um every other state capital someone is some of them in the community has taken the initiative to make that happen is that something that uh when your terms up there'll be at least some concrete plans and be breaking ground and have a convention center here we will have a convention center on that site if we can get our plans put together. But yes, my every intention, we're probably going to have to tweak what we're currently doing. It's not working. And that's hopefully some of the leadership I hope I can bring to the city. 
I've I've seen though, just in Jeff City, in the last few years, you had a great development across the street, across the road from the Capitol at the Marriott. You've got another another hotel out by the by the mall complex. I mean, folks, their business people realize people come here to stay. Maybe it's one or two nights, but they come here to stay. And I I mean, that's been some very positive hotel developments showing. I think there's a path to this. Absolutely, the courtyard is booked during yeah. legislative session. People want to stay in nice facilities. And yes, I, I run an association. I cannot bring my association to my own hometown. I have no place I can put my meeting. State government utilizes facilities out of our city because they don't have places where they can do some of their events. This town will support a convention center if it's done right. Uh, let's talk about something that, that supports this town a great deal. When you talk about state employee pay, right? That's somewhat of a, if you're in Chillicothe or Dexter, that's somewhat of a foreign con- thought. Maybe you need to, you want a good state government, so you have to have, you have to pay people. But in Jeff City, that means a boom to the economy. Absolutely. And we all compete for employees, especially mm-hmm. in this marketplace. And the state has to do what's appropriate. And you know, I think the move that they made was very appropriate. But yes, those people invest those dollars back into our community. And 70% of our workforce drives in, but most of those shop here and spend dollars here. So yeah, the investment that the state makes and not only paying them more, but keeping them in, in the process and keeping those jobs filled helps oh, our community. I'm so sorry for people that, that aren't, they don't have the sense enough to live here. They have to drive in. What, what, a, what, a, what a terrific thing they're missing out on. Uh, speaking of uh, some of the, the investment state made, you know, Ron Richard will never, ever get enough credit. I think that capital might have fell in the river. Ron Richard put his foot down and said, we're going to make our capital. We're going to make it work. Um, the refurbishments, and you know, it's so easy. Not easy. It, there's a lot in it for a politician to say, I'm going to build a bridge and put my name on it. Ron Richard did the hard work. You know, really, if you're not, if you don't pay attention, you, you come here five years ago, you might not even realize what he did. Mm-hmm. But he kept that capital from falling in. It looks terrific. How important is that to this area? That capital is a huge asset. I mean, it is our asset in this community. And not only the capital, I mean, he also was instrumental in saving the governor's mansion. I remember when the Blunts were in there, Mrs. Blunt didn't even like going upstairs because she said you could push on a pane of glass and it would fall through. And he made sure that we had dollars available and worked with the Blunts and they were very gracious in, in working with it, as you know, most governors shied away from that because yeah. they didn't want to be attached to it. And Ron Richard said, no, that's the people's house of Missouri and we're going to take care of it. And he, he did the same thing with the Capitol. The whole state's proud of Ron Richard. But let's talk about a senator now that you're specifically proud of. Uh, your son, Travis Fitzwater, uh, a freshman senator, he's really hit the ground running. It's got to make you proud to see folks come up and say, boys, we need that. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, I take a little pride that he kind of cut a little bit of the political bug from me, but then he got his mannerisms and his kindness from his mother. So <laughs> I think he blended the two together very well. But yeah, it's just a privilege to, to work with him because I take our legislation over. Obviously, he has a great interest in what we do, but just to watch him build and network. And the nice thing about him is he builds relationships on both sides of the aisle. Hmm. He really does want to get things done for the state of Missouri. And Senator Lieutenant Governor Kehoe made the comment that you can't find someone more conservative than him. So it's not as if he's given up his conservative principles, but he knows how to use that and build bridges to get things done. And that's 
what you want out of us, well, Senator. Ron Fitzwater, we hope you'll come back on this week in Missouri Fox when we can call you Mayor Ron Fitzwater. Well, I appreciate the invite, and I absolutely will. And that's it. We'll be back next week from the state capitol on This Week in Missouri Politics. This Week in Missouri Politics is sponsored by the Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, Ameren, Spire, and the United Electric Cooperative.